about more than just research. It's about community, too, right? See you in the community. What's going on this weekend? The last time we met, we talked to Well, last time I talked to the people from downtown. What was the last movie you went to? Miguel, what's new? Miguel, what's new in the community? Have you gotten any feedback? Hi, welcome to another episode of the Community World Podcast with your host, Miguel Valdez. And today I have a friend, Dr. Duma Narchus. Is that correct, doctor? Yes, it is. Close, close enough. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for the invitation, Miguel. Oh, no, no. It's my honor to have you here. Doctor, um, for our friends who are at this time of the year, they're complaining about the weather. You're from a tropical country. You're from the beautiful country of Venezuela. What is the average weather of Venezuela this time of the year in December? Well, I'm from the Andes, which is the highest part of Venezuela, right? Okay. The mountains are. So I would say it's sprint like here. So we are around 70 degrees. That's the winter. Uh, y- yeah, that's the winter. Well, that's through the year. We get to 80 to 70. It's like spring all year round. Okay. And it's good for because of the altitude. We don't have a lot of variations in the weather. Okay. So how are you adjusting to this weather? You know, this time of the year where he is changing. Well, when I went to the United States, I did a titration. I moved first to Seattle where it's not too cold. Then I went to New York. Okay. When it's colder, and then I came here, so I little I did it little by little, okay. um, instead so of just bracing myself all the way to Rochester. Well, I do coffee, and wake up early in the morning, so I think that helps me. Going, mm-hmm. that's good. So, doctor, tell us a little bit about your career. What is your specialty, and and then we're gonna move on into the topic that we're gonna be talking today. Okay, so I specialize in hematology and oncology. So this is the blood cancers, anemias, and the solid cancers, which is lung cancer, a breast cancer, and colorectal cancer. And how the anemia ones, the blood cancer one, affects the, uh, the human? So the blood cancers are lymphoma, leukemias, and some other types are rather less common. Um, these tend to have a limited prognosis for the leukemias and the lymphomas overall do very well. Um, and there's just two branches of cancer care. We, we divide it by liquid or solid tumors. So if you have a liquid tumor, you're in hematology. Okay. If you have a solid tumor, you're in oncology. Okay. So and you see both? Yes. Okay. So I got, I got lucky to see your presentation a month ago and also recently uh, a month ago you were talking about during the health disparities uh, conference can you talk a little bit what did you talk about during that presentation yeah so this is a work we have been um, doing for the last year and it's about the lack of representation of minorities women and the elderly uh, in clinical trials so, and all of this started uh, when I have an African-American patient, and he asked me, why are the numbers for me, for patients like me? And um, I went back and actually find out there was two African-American patients, and one of the trials that determined how we treat lung cancer. So that precipitated more search and more questions. Can you explain to our uh, listeners, what is the difference between trials and research? Okay. So, so clinical trials go in different phases, but this is how we determine which is the best treatment for a type of cancer. 
So we put a group of patients in the standard treatment of what we know it works, and then we put another group of patients in the experimental treatment. And then we follow them to see who does better. And depends on those results that change how cancer is treated all around the world most of the time. Um, so how these affect minorities is that we are treating minorities with treatments that had not been tested in then. Within those populations. Yeah, so the trials are minimal, any African-Americans to very low numbers, and Hispanics, some of them with none Hispanics included in the trials. So what is concerning is that I'm putting a patient in chemotherapy, which is a life-changing treatment, uh, without knowing how these patients respond and how they're able to tolerate it because they were not included in these trials. So it's a little bit uh, unknown, and I think it's unfair for the Hispanic patients to be put in treatment without knowing if this is the best treatment for them. And when we're considering this population, the, the own participant, we're trying to look at the whole culture, the environment, is that correct? How it affects the, as a, as a population, or what, what is important? So I, the, the problem is not only in oncology, but my expertise are in oncology. Mm -hmm. um, I think this is a very complex question, but I, what I can say is that the environment plays a significant role in cancer and also plays a significant role how you access cancer care. Okay. So minorities tend to go to community hospitals, and those hospitals are less likely to have clinical trials. And we go to community hospitals in part because that's where our insurance is affected or that's what is close to our house. Okay. So I think what we can help for removing that community environment uh, barriers for patients to ask too about to their community doctors that are they in clinical trials. And then they can get the referral to the big center. Um, so the community does play a role and participation in clinical trials for minorities. I see. So, and then last week, you were presenting uh, a discussion on the racial and ethnic disparities in cancer survival. Can you share a little bit with our friends? Yeah, so this is a large study in California. So, determining what other factors affect how long do you live for your, with your cancer. Once you're being diagnosed. Yes, so these patients were diagnosed with cancer and they were determined which factors were affecting how long do you live. And what they found, the authors in this uh, paper, is that it's not only treatment. So it affects how long do you live, in the case of lung cancer, if you're married or not. So married men live longer, that or married or divorced or widow. Um, your neighborhood also make a difference. Where do you live? If you live in a high-income neighborhood, you have a better survival. And um, another factor that they made a difference is the level of education. So if you have a low educational level, then you are less like, your survival gets coded, not half, but significantly lower. So what this paper brings is that cancer patients are not only a tumor and a treatment, it's everything that's around them. Their support, neighborhood, the support they get or they not get, their social uh, aspects of being married, having a supportive family that can help them go to the doctor, that can help them when they're nauseous, when they need treatment, or just offer that extra shoulder to cry or to talk. So all of those factors affect how long do you live. 
And I think that's important because it brings the point that chemotherapy doesn't solve everything and that we need to ask about problems at home as doctors to our patients. And does those questions come out when you had those visits? So to be honest, sometimes it's a challenge. So we had 30-minute slots and between talking about chemotherapy, side effects of chemotherapy, they follow CT scans to see if the tumor grew or if the tumor uh, got bigger or smaller with the treatment. And then talking about this is very limited time. Um, but I think what I, I do with my patients is that I have one thing I have to ask about the social aspect during the visit. Because you cannot visit income neighborhood, marital status, and all of that in one visit. But if you see your patient every two weeks or every month, you can try to visit at least once or then. But it's a challenge when you have bad news, for example, that we take all the 30 minutes. But I think the general audience and uh, the providers will be good to know that a cancer patient has other aspects. They also suffer, suffer depression. They also get their heart broken. And sometimes uh, we can see families are broken apart for the cancer diagnosis. And what was the disparity in percentage? So what, what they find out in, is that men are the ones that most benefit from when they have support. for being married, okay. so that woman. And that was almost double compared or, to or women. a partner. Oh, a partner, yeah. Um, and I, I cannot recall the percentage at the okay. top of my head, but it was significant for lung cancer, for prostate cancer, and for colorectal cancer. They only studied the four main breast cancers. So if you're a man uh, and you have a partner, you have a better survival. Independent of your chemotherapy, independent of your tumor, you will live longer. Okay. So that takes into it brings to attention how important it is to have a support system when you're going through the cancer diagnosis and treatment. Okay. Doctor, what can we do? What recommendation, what have you learned? How, what can we do to increase the number of participants on minorities on trials? What can institution or as a researcher or a, a doctor? I think one of the things is that there is a bias. So there's a study that was conducted several years ago that 33% of doctors believe that minority patients will not be willing to participate in clinical trials, and it's actually the opposite. So I think we need to eliminate that bias. Okay. Minority patients want to be part of clinical trials, and I think one, we can educate the providers and the nurses, and I think the most important thing is work with the community. So for example, in Tennessee and Nashville, there's a big project about working with African-Americans, women, and breast cancer so the community knows about the trials and the community reaches to the, the patients. Because sometimes that is, um, we believe, or patients believe that they will be the guinea pig with the clinical trials, but the benefit of being a clinical trial is that you get the drug years before it's approved. So when people participate in clinical trials, uh, is that the last hope or there is there is a, they just want to offer you, this is the latest that we have for you, but it's not. 
So clinical. How does that work? So they're they're different phases. So the phase three mm -hmm. clinical trials are the ones before FDA approved. So FDA, the, can you quick F, sorry, FDA is the, drug, the Food and Drug Administration. They okay. determine what drug is approved, and then that is correlated with insurance reimbursement. And then once it's approved, kind of goes... The insurance will be able to... The insurance will pay for the drug. Okay. Once, well, most likely we pay for the yeah. drug once it's FDA approved. So the phase three trials, they already have a precedent. They have phase two and phase one trials. So most of the data is still available. It is available already, so it is not the last hope. It's an early treatment. So these trials are designed for people who we know we benefit for this treatment. So I won't call it a last hope. It's just an early opportunity. It's the newest kid in the block, for example. So that's when sometimes the bias can go off. Yeah. So the bias about that the, pro the minority patients will not follow the protocol excess okay. and that they're not willing to do it without asking. So I think... It's important that we, as providers, know that they want so to the participate. Case communication. Yeah. In the case of phase one trials, um, it's important to recognize that phase three or phase ones once. So a lot of these treatments are no last hope. It was when patients roll out, run out of some of the auctions. They're already, their tumor progress. So they have another auction. I see. Um, and sometimes we can see great responses and then the drug moves to a phase three. So I think overall clinical trials are an opportunity to try a treatment that would take years to get to the shelves. Um, and the opportunity also to get a close follow-up. So when you're in a clinical trial, you have a lot of people that follows you up. It's a team behind. Yeah. And it's been proven that you live longer in a clinical trial compared to the same treatment out of the clinical trial and it all has to go back to access to healthcare. If you have a nurse that's calling you once a week, if you have somebody who you are in a protocol, you need to show up, they are gonna follow up with you, you would do better. So it's not only the benefit of getting the drug, but it's also the benefit of getting a close follow-up. And all these follow-ups tend to be paid for the from the pharmaceutical company budget or from the, uh, the cooperative group. So the patient will be not responsible for this. So. And what has been your experience working with community members when you trying to spread the word about the getting access to, or at least the education to to be aware of these clinical trials? I I with it all your career. I I think I I have moved as I mentioned before mm -hmm. and. Um, there is a high African American population in Newark, uh, New, New Jersey. Jersey. Yeah, okay. so I have more access to minority patients than here. But what I have noticed is that if you reach a community member, a pastor, a priest, or you reach somebody who organizes community events, are more than happy to help, um, and they're willing to talk to patients as well. But I don't think I, we can leave all the weight to the community members, us as doctors, as the nurses, as talking to family members as well, and the community, as well as industry. And I think it, if we, we get the support, because this is money, going to the community centers, and all of that requires a budget. And if, we, if the industry is not willing to support this, it will be a challenge. 
Um, because going to a clinical trial requires more time and more traveling. Uh, and our minorities, unfortunately, are coming for a lower socioeconomic status than some of the non-Hispanic whites. So I think the answer is very long to say that it is a complex and that we all need to work you on it that. At some level. And we need to tell patients to ask. If you ask for a clinical trial, I think that's the easy way to get in into the system is ask your doctor is there a clinical trial I can be part of and that can precipitate a, a few people, is there is a central direct directory where people can uh, try to find that information on their own yes so there is the clinicaltrials.gov okay. that is uh, a state run uh, website a few months where ago, you can put your cancer or your disease. It includes all trials, not only cancer trials. And you can put the city or the zip code and how many miles are you willing to travel. And that could be a university, a medical center. Whatever the trials available. Yeah. yeah. But um, I think the website is improving. Is significantly improving, but it can be challenging for some patients to go on the website because then there's a lot of options and you will need guidance because you can come out with 100 clinical trials when you type lung cancer, but there are specifics for each tumor. So I think asking, maybe doing a little bit of homework before you ask will help. And everything is online now, so you can just Google it, clinical trials for lung cancer. Is is limited. Okay. It's very limited. Um, I think some trials have translated consent, but limited staff that can speak several languages, and um, and you can see that more on the East Coast where there's a trial coordinator that speaks Spanish or Mandarin or any other language. Okay, doctor, anything else that would you like to share with our audience today? I think number one is that for clinical trial participation, uh, we need to ask and we need to be part of this science. As Hispanics were growing, we're going to be the majority minority in 2030. So we need to be part of this research so we get the best treatment possible and we are not treating with information that's obtained somewhere else. And uh, regarding the social demographic factors in cancer, I think we all can work together to help that person or that neighbor who's going through cancer because only a, a hello or a casserole can help that cancer patient, and numbers have proved that. So I think as a community, we can help each other. Um, is there is any link or site that would you like to share with our people who's listening? Where site that would you recommend besides the trials.gov? Um, I, I think there's so many of them. Um, there is a... We're going to get up and put the link here in the information. Yeah, I, I think because we are reaching so many people, it will be very unique to yeah. a link. And what I can recommend is to join support groups. Okay. Support groups are... For caregivers and also patients, correct? We help you to connect and get the right website for you. And um, also, what, what is so important to address the social determinants of health to 
try to tackle these big be problems or the big picture. Yeah, because these are modifiable factors. So you cannot modify your age when you get diagnosed with cancer. You cannot modify your sex. But this can be modifiable. And that's one of the few things we the can change. Yeah. And I think while, I mean, the administration uh, can help with this, I think there's other things that as individuals we can help. Um, I don't think these things we change quickly over time, but I think there's a lot of room to all improvement. And if you have a problem and you know how to fix it, that's easier than having a problem or knowing how to fix it. Okay. Doctor, thank you so much. Thank you so much and enjoy uh, the holiday. Enjoy your coffee. Enjoy your pan de jamón. Do you eat pan de jamón? I do. I just don't know how to make it. Right. I may have to get a YouTube video and do okay. it. Pan de jamón is a traditional uh, meal. Can you, is it a meal? Uh, it's a... I would say asai, asai in Venezuela for Christmas. Yeah, when my, my neighbors uh, is from Venezuela and he made it once and invited us to have some pan de jamón. It was delicious. Well, Miguel, you're making me hungry now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're going to cut here because we got to go get some food. And I want to invite everybody to please follow us on Twitter. Find us on their community board. Also on Facebook, on pages. Make sure you go on pages and type uh, community board on iTunes on their community board podcast on SoundCloud community board podcast and share this episode with your friends and family because we I guess we all know somebody who have gone through some type of cancer and um, if we're better informed we can be, make a better decisions so stay tuned and remember if you want to share something with your community make sure you contact us and we'll ping your information in the community board podcast and stay tuned bye bye well last time i talked to the people from downtown what was the last movie you went to miguel what's new miguel what's new in the community have you gotten any feedback about the twitter feed first of all for the people who contact us on twitter about a certain research can you tell me more well depends who you talk if you talk to the people from the board why did the yogurt go to the art museum to get more culture.